Hello, and welcome to Detours, a Glory Sports podcast where I, David Stahl, digital editor of Glory Sports, sit down with sports figures who have achieved excellence in their fields through bold, unconventional, strange, and novel practices. From athletes to community leaders, sports psychologists to coaches, media personalities to front office executives, I'll be inviting guests on the program to show listeners how they might learn to explore excellence by paving detours of their own. Today's episode features WNBA star and TSN analyst Kia Nurse. We had the chance to sit down with Kia for our cover shoot in the spring and record this episode in the process at Kia's home court of TSN Studios. In the age of player empowerment, where stars have the ability to control their voice and messaging more than ever before, Nurse has become empowerment personified. Whether it's with a mic in her hand speaking in front of a country of sports fans or running the point for the biggest women's basketball league in the world, Kia Nurse is more than comfortable holding the reins. Throughout our interview, we talk about how her family first forged this exceptional competitive drive, how it manifests not only on the court, but in the broadcast studio, and what challenges might lie ahead for the future of player empowerment. We hope you enjoy. Today, Glory Sports sits down with WNBA star, TSN analyst, and Canadian Olympian, Kia Nurse. Kia, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I think to tell your story, I want to start at the beginning. Could you break down the first moment that you really felt the rush of love for basketball and the moment where you realized, oh, this is something I have an exceptional talent for? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I started playing basketball when I was four years old. So my sister played and she was... My version of Michael Jordan, I wanted to be just like her. And so I picked up a ball as fast as I could. And it was in Hamilton Transway. I remember there are still pictures of me back then trying to shoot on what we have the six foot rims for these minis is what they called us. Um, and we would go when we would shoot there and I would close my eyes and just hope that it would go in. I put as much energy into it as I could. Um, and I continued to get pretty good at that. And they moved me to the 10 foot hoops pretty fast. I felt like that was like, oh, okay, like you might be good at this. You might be able to do what your sister can do. But my parents always talk about it. My dad always tells me he was my coach my whole life. And he said there was one play when I was really young and I dove on a loose ball and me and this girl were wrestling for it and I called a timeout. And he was like, that was it. I knew she was about destined to go do great things in basketball because she knew to call that timeout. So I don't know. I guess that was my big moment. And is a Hamilton kid growing up, obviously coached by your father, what were some of the lessons that he instilled in you? And are there any that you now translate to the locker room as a veteran in, in the WNBA? Yeah, there's tons of lessons that my dad taught. And I think one of the the big things that he always said to us growing up was, you are always going to be good at the sport. You have some natural talent in it. Obviously, we have a lot of athletes in our family and that kind of built. But he said, there's always going to be someone who's behind you who's coming to catch you. And so if you want to be the best at your sport, you have to keep getting better at it. And so that was something that helped moving forward. We were never really allowed to be average. It was you know, you do something really good and then all of a sudden he's finding something else for you to get better at. And each and every day, that's kind of what we did as kids. But at the same time, they did a really good job, my parents, both of them, of making sure that we were still kids. And knowing that I started playing soccer when I was three, I started skating when I was four, I played basketball when I was four. It was whatever you want to do, you can do. And you don't have to be great at it. But if you want to pick up a sport, pick it up and enjoy it. And that's exactly what we did our whole life. I played basketball in the wintertime, soccer in the summertime, 
And it was just a lot of fun. So I find that if I look at today's game, my dad would be considered old school. You know, earn everything that you want. Go out there and take a job. That was the first thing he said to me when I got drafted to the WNBA. You got the opportunity to you know, go take a job. Um, and so I think when I look at my life and my life in the broadcast world, my life in, in general, it's earning everything and being competitive and understanding that even though you're good at something, somebody's chasing you. So you can always be better. Now, you talk about how that sort of drive to be multifaceted was instilled in you early. We're sitting here where you're about to go on a broadcast later tonight. How do you think that helped translate towards your media career, that desire to always try something new, break the next barrier? Well, I think basketball and sports in general does that for kids because there's so many transferable life skills that you're going to learn from it. I couldn't even tell you what the score of the last game I played in the world championship was. But I can tell you the memories that I have from that tournament. And I can tell you how hard it was to come back from an ACL and the resilience that I had doing all of that. And that translates then to whatever else I do in life. And in the broadcast booth especially, I work with the team. So I get to work with Kate and Leo on air, which is what everybody sees. But I also work with the team behind the scenes. There's always people in our ear that are having conversations, our producers, our directors, our statisticians. And so you learn to work well with one another and build those relationships with people and communicate when there are things that are going well and communicate when there are things that are not going well or asking questions. You learn to fall. You learn to fail a little bit. My first year on March Madness, I said, um, I don't know. I paused a lot. Everything, if you ask my producer, probably wouldn't tell you I was pretty bad. But I grew. And, you know, from those failures or from those moments where I felt like I could be better, I went back and I saw the film. I asked for advice from those who have been there before and done it before to help me get better. And so I think that's something that's really translated to the broadcast booth um, and confidence. That's what gives you confidence. It's fun. It's exciting. It's the thrill you get when you have an and one is the thrill that I get when I get a stat right and I'm talking on the broadcast. So all of that kind of comes through with what I'm doing. When you talk about confidence, I just, I hear that quote from your dad of take the job. And when you say that, I hearken back to your college career in particular, especially at UConn, where all of a sudden you're in that take the job mentality, you're thrust into this position of responsibility. Can you talk a little bit about that moment, that moment in UConn where you're, you're handed the reins and has that helped you in sort of that quest to always look for the next opportunity and, and finding your agency in your career? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at Coach Ariema and the historic coaching run that he has had, he's very similar to my dad in the sense that you could never just be okay with good enough. He would harp on me about making a left-handed pass for a week and I'd finally make it in practice. I'm like, yes, I did it. He'd say nothing about that and move on to the next thing that I did wrong. And that was something that helped me get better every single year. And one of the things I always talked about was I'm going to challenge you. That was one of his things. He's going to challenge each and every person and what makes him great is he knows what buttons to push in order to do that. And so I've always kind of looked at everything in life as a challenge. Everything that's new coming to the broadcast booth was a challenge for me. I'm sitting and doing the, the color analysis was a challenge for me. Stepping into any WNBA team or organization is always a new challenge as well. And so I've built and I've learned a lot from being able to do those things. And UConn was a big lesson for me because at first you look at the team. When I was there, it was Brianna Stewart, Mariah Jefferson, Morgan Tuck, Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis, Kia Stokes. That was my first year. And I thought, okay, I'm going to sit behind all these great players. I'm going to learn a lot, be a sponge for the first two years, and then I'll step in and I'll do what I got to do. And it turned out after the second game, I was called into the coach's office. All four of them were sitting in there. So I'm like, hey, I did something wrong. I'm in trouble. But no, they said, we're going to start you until further notice and until you prove that you don't need to be started. And your job is to go out there, play defense, and knock down open shots if people leave you wide open. And I thought, okay, that's easy. Defense is effort. I can do that part. 
knocking down open shots was a little harder at the time, but we're good now. Um, and so I thought that was something that really, it was a challenge. And I then started for the rest of my career at UConn. I had the opportunity to be a leader in my junior and senior years. And I mean, we had tons of success and we also faced adversity. So I learned a lot from both of those things. And I can honestly say I would not be where I am today in my career if it wasn't for going to UConn. And then we've talked a lot about those, those sideline influences, whether that's your father or a legendary coaching figure at UConn as well. But as a, again, a girl growing up in Hamilton, there's no WNBA team up north to point to specifically. There's not the necessarily the Canadian basketball culture at large, regardless of gender at that time, to look up towards. Who are some of the on-court figures that you look towards to think, oh, well, maybe I can look, let's see how far I can take this thing. Yeah, my first on-court was obviously my sister and just being able to see what she could do. At the time when she came uh, at, into college, it wasn't necessarily popular for Canadians to be seen and get scholarships over in the NCAA. So she was one of the first to go over and do that. And I thought, okay, that's a new pathway that's opening up and that is a possibility, hopefully, for myself as well later down the road. Um, then it was a tournament that my sister was playing in the States. I saw Maya Moore on TV and she was playing with UConn and I was like, oh, she's awesome. And it was nice to see her and nice to be able to resonate with somebody on television playing basketball and seeing a women's basketball team go out there and have success. So that was always something that was kind of pushed me forward. And then I got to play against her in my rookie year. And that was a major full circle moment. It went better for her than it went for me, but that was totally fine. And obviously, I think as a kid growing up in Canada, you have to say that you watched Vince Carter and you saw him because that's a, that's what I did see. And the Raptors were obviously a big piece of you know Canadian basketball history. And you watched Vince, you watched those dunk contests and you thought, that would be really cool. Now, you're not alone. A lot of people who are on the opposite end of the court of Maya Moore have been on the wrong side of engine scoring inputs. <laughs> but another re- really neat parallel I see between you two is look at the way Maya Moore has left the game and made such an impact with her voice. Now, you're doing the same, still speaking to what's happening on the court. But how important is it, this movement we're seeing in players grabbing the microphone and, and saying, I have something to express and, and owning their agency in that sense. Well, I think it's huge. And it's really interesting because people oftentimes you see athletes on television and you forget that they're just like you sometimes because it seems larger than life. And so I think one of the things that we try to do, especially in the WNBA, we're technically a small league. Right? There's 144 spots and not even all of those get used because of cap space. And so at times I find that the one thing we do really well is we understand that out of all 144 of us, we have different stories, we have different upbringings, we come from different places, and we have different perspectives on things. But collectively, we come together to understand that our fan base is going to be able to resonate with at least one person on the court. And so I think that's really important. And so we try to use our voice collectively to instill change. And that's something the WNBA does better than I think any league in the world. And we use it together. That's the big piece, right? Collectively, we come together to make a decision, which then we put forward. And so I think having the opportunity to use our platforms, which have grown immensely with the, the growth of social media and how small the world's now becoming because of our phones and technology. So we try to do the best that we can to make sure that those platforms are used for good. And those platforms are a place where our fans can engage with us or maybe a place where we can talk about the things that are most near and dear to our heart um, and make a difference within our communities, the broader community and our individual communities as well. So it's really special to be able to do that. I love that sentiment saying that, look, there really is no league that unifies together for movements quite like the WNBA. Is there a specific moment in particular that you look at and go, wow, I'm, I'm proud to be a part 
of a league that can, again, unify and stand together for something? Was there a particular moment? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the bubble season, that was just a lot, right? And, and emotionally, that was a lot being not only in the middle of the Black Lives Matter movement, but also being in the middle of a bubble season and COVID. And there's just a lot that was going on within that. And I think right in the middle of the bubble season, there was a stoppage of play. And it was from the NBA first. And then we came into a room. All of us came into the room at once in the, the hotel. We Just the players. Nobody else was in there with us. And we collectively had a conversation. And it was just a ballroom filled with a bunch of powerful women who had opinions and who wanted to speak and that we came together to make a collective decision on what it was that we wanted to do moving forward and what were the action calls that we wanted to put out, not only saying we stand for this and we're not going to play for this next two days, but it, what can we do to continue to move the needle forward and continue to make change? And so just sitting there and listening was absolutely incredible, but it was the fact that it came from every team. There was different people having conversations, came from one side of the room to the other side of the room, and it was an up and down conversation. It was passionate. And to me, that is the epitome of our league, is being able to do that. Now, two years before that bubble season, and it's an infamous quote that got resurfaced in, in 2020, comes from Fox News' Laura Ingram when she told LeBron James, shut up and dribble. As someone who, again, if it was in your mind, okay, I'm going to have a microphone, I'm going to have a platform someday, or even just as a player, more importantly, a player of color, what was your reaction when you heard that quote and i don't know is there is there any thought towards that as now a, a media person a member of the media who has expressly is expressly told each week don't shut up and dribble yeah i mean it's very interesting because if you look at athletes and the way that we've continued to grow across i think all sports and using our platforms and using our voices and voicing our opinions because of the platforms that we do have it's unique in we have an ability to touch people all over the world from our living rooms with maybe a tweet or with a Instagram post. And with that comes a lot of responsibility because the internet is an impressionable place as well, right? And so I think it's something that we've used for the power of good. I think that it's something that when you look at that quote, it just reminds me like there's a lot that we need to do. And there's a lot of growth and change that needs to happen, especially on the woman's side of sports. And um, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to investment in women's sport and understanding what a league like the WNBA does or, you know, the money and the financial behind all of that. And so we're continuing to educate as many people as we can on why you should invest in the women's game, why it's important for our next generation of young leaders, our next generation of young female leaders. And I think that's something that we can use our platform to continue to do. My, I'm a big person on if you can't see it, you can't be it. And now you're starting to see more visibility, whether it is using our social media platforms to continue to brand or even put out, hey, we have a game tonight. If you want to catch it, catch it on TSN or having the ability to just be on television and be something that people can see and resonate with so that their dreams don't seem as far fetched as they are. Mm. And you're in a unique position as someone who's in the media and you see there's always so much discourse. How do we grow the league? How do we grow the league? And sometimes the question isn't even posed to those in the league or those making decisions. What can media and perhaps Canadian media in particular do to help grow the game, to help shed a spotlight on that this is the highest level of skill that basketball players can attain to, to tune in to the WNBA? Well, it's, a lot of it is just information-based and being able to say, this is where you can find it. 
human nature is to have the easiest route possible, right? If I can turn on the TV, I'm just going to watch whatever's on there. If I have to search for something, I'm probably not going to see it. So being out, having it out there saying this is exactly where you can find it and making that accessible and easy for people is really important. Continuing to tell stories is important. We are a very unique league. We have so many different members of different organizations, different communities, and the way that we work within our communities is really impressive. And so I think telling the stories of the players, even if those aren't just tell the Canadian players stories, but even tell the players of our entire league stories, right? And make sure that everybody kind of knows who each and every player is. Let's help make these household names the same way that a lot of NBA players are household names. And then I think continuing to watch the sport is huge, but I'm always a big believer in Hey, I'm going to go watch a WNBA game today at, you know, a restaurant. Do you want to come with me? I'll grab a friend, grab your daughter, grab anybody and have them sit down and watch the game. Because a lot of the people who have things to say about the game, I've never actually seen a game. And that's part of the first issue is you can't knock it until you try it. It's the same thing we say about everything else in life. And so I think that is extremely important and investing in it, you know, investing in female athletes, investing in being able to show Canadian athletes and being able to see them on television is massive. I know everybody thinks investing in women's sports is a massive risk. It's not. It's a risk like any other risk in the world. And it is probably one of your better bets, in my opinion. And now we've talked about some of your, your on-court influences, whether it be a, a Maya Moore, your sister, Vince Carter, of course. Uh, I'm wondering who some of your off-court broadcast influences might be. <laughs> who are some of the figures growing up when you're watching sports, when you're tuning in, that you looked at and said, wow, this, of course, back then you're not thinking that's going to be me someday, but you're thinking, wow, this is helping to really color the game for me. Yeah, well, it's like Kate Furness on the Canadian side. Obviously, I think everybody gets to see Kate and she's been a mainstay on TSN and just her ability to to do such an incredible work. She was one of the first hosts that I worked with here, which was fantastic because she kind of set me up really well with questions to help me feel comfortable within the whole broadcast world. And so I'm much appreciated for that. But now when you understand it from the media side, I watch her do her job and I'm like, oh, you're really good at that. And I appreciate it. Um, another person was Doris Burke for me. Uh, when I was going through UConn and went to all the Final Fours, we got to sit in kind of the media room and talk to people. Doris Burke was in there. Holly Rowe was in there. And I was always really in awe of being around and being able to speak to them and have the opportunity to kind of see what it is that they do on the broadcast side and taking these stories that we're talking to them about, the questions that they asked us, and then translating that into the game. And now every time I hear the voice on TV, I'm like, oh, it's them. <laughs> we're kind of friends. We're like, you know, so very grateful for both of them as well and the pathways that they're paving. And now you just touched on it again, the stories. And that's how we grow any league, not just the WNBA, not just women's sports. So you look at the NBA, that's such a narrative driven league. So I'm wondering who are some of the personalities in the WNBA that you think, oh God, we have to get you in the media. We have to get you in front of a microphone broadcasting. We have a lot of personalities in our league. I think it's really fun. That's like one of the most fun parts about our, our league. I think Asia Wilson would probably be pretty good at broadcasting. You know, Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird have taken over the mic a couple of times during the NCAA tournament last year. Might have gone a little off the rails, but I think that makes for good television at times. So I think both of them would also be really good on television. Um, I know Skylar Diggins-Smith does some work as well on TV in the NBA analyst uh, seat. So we've got a lot of personalities that are already in 
Um, you know, Chanae Gubike is huge on the ESPN side too. And so I love the personalities that we have in our league. I think there's an ability to break down a game from different perspectives is something that is great. Um, but I, I do think those, those are the ones that stand out for me the most. It'd be good television. And obviously when we talk about women's sports, there's a vocal minority that it's vitriolic, it's criticizing without watching the game. But of course, there are so many fans that are perhaps more educated than ever before. Do you think there's a little bit of a fatigue from fans hearing from media players or media members, I should say, that maybe overtly don't know the game or maybe have never played or coached? Do you think there's a heightened appreciation from hearing from players such as yourself? I do think that there are at times a, the ability for us to talk about what might be happening in the locker room. I'm very honest with everybody. I don't speculate exactly what is happening within the Raptors locker room on the times when they're going through a losing spell or we were seeing adversity physically on the screen. But I can tell you that for some days there are players who might not have a good game and there are days when I didn't have a good game, but it might not have been anything on the court that was the problem. There might have been something going on at home that was a bit of an issue. So I try to give a little bit of sympathy and understanding that we are all going to have off days and kind of put that forward. And then I do think for us as athletes, I find that one of my jobs on, on TSN is to try to make the game easy for those to understand who might not typically know the game. And so what I do is I try to use the visuals as much as possible. So if I'm going to use a term that speaks to like a horn set, so a specific set in basketball, I'm going to wait till there's a visual on the screen so that I can kind of explain that and put it out there. And so I try to do it in a way that is easily digested by a fan who doesn't necessarily have to be in a locker room. And so I want them to feel like they're in the locker room or feel like they're in the huddle with the coaches and doing those X's and O's. And so that's important to me as well. And so I think that's something that players can offer because the game does not change that much from the women's game to the men's game. We all run the exact same offenses. We're all trying to get the exact same advantages or create disadvantages on defense for the op opposing teams. And so it's just being able to kind of decipher that in a way that people can understand. And now, obviously, touched on your, your sister who was that initial inspiration, but we're underselling the rest of your family as well. Obviously, your sister, an elite athlete, your brother, an NHL defenseman, your uncle, a former NFL quarterback. When you look at your family tree, is it something just as simple as great, great genes, great biology, or are there deeper traits that have allowed you guys to, to find this success? Maybe some of those lessons instilled by your dad. And, and what do you think those commonalities between you guys are? There's a lot of different commonalities, and I'll add Sarah Nurse as well, which Olympic medalist uh, twice, I believe. And so, you know, I think the thing with our family is that we have a very competitive nature to us. And so at times we have to find a way to release all of that competitive energy. And, you know, for me, sometimes it's trying to beat somebody walking in the mall beside me. And, you know, if it's on the court, then it's on the court. And I think that's really something that has made us who, who we are. We are uh, a blue collar family. And on my dad's side, my, my grandfather immigrated here from Trinidad and worked in the steel factories in Hamilton. And so my dad was raised as a blue collar kid, go out there, work hard. He played a ton of different sports as well. And my mom for us is the exact same. She went and played at McMaster um, for the Marauders. She, I like to say all of our toughness comes from her. She was a bruiser. She was gonna set the best screen she could possibly set for you. Um, and they both just have a very great uh, understanding of accountability. So just knowing that if you're going to commit to something, you're going to commit to it fully. And they both were very honest with you. If we played well, they told us. If we did not play well, they also told us. And so I think that was something that really helped us because that's kind of how we move through life now. If we do something well, we know it. If we don't, I mean, we'll be the first to tell you that it was not a good day for us. 
And so I think there's just a little bit of everything in those traits, but I credit everything to my parents for the way that my sister, my brother, and I were able to grow up, the way that we were able to find success. And the biggest thank you that I find I can give them is watching them in the stands, watching me play professional, because that's all of the sacrifices that they made to get us to where we are today. I mean, it's incredible to think about it. And to go off that positive reinforcement that, that they did offer you, when I was going through some of your older interviews, I read this quote from 2018, and of course, we only know you from seeing you on TV, where there is this sort of overt confidence, but I'm wondering, I'll, I'll read it to you, and I'm wondering if there's anything in particular that's maybe shifted your mindset over time, or if this still rings true to you. You told The Athletic in 2018, not a lot of people know that I'm the queen of self-doubt and pessimism. It's a whole new world now. But my parents and sister and brother were always in my ear growing up saying, you know, you're better than you think. How is your perception of yourself and your on-court, off-court performances changed and has been in front of the camera quite a bit over the years um, changed that at all? I'm definitely different than when I mentioned that quote, but it is also true. I am very pessimistic and I am the, the person who brings in a lot of self-doubt at times, but I think it's understanding now as I've continued to grow in my career how to manage that and how to think differently um the best part about it is that I am going to be my worst critic so if I have a bad game no matter what anybody wants to say about me in the media I probably said worse to myself already so you can't make it any worse and I think that's something that drives me that's you know I'm a perfectionist in a way knowing that I won't be perfect in what I'm doing but still striving to be as close to perfect as possible and I think that's something that makes me as good as I am on the basketball floor and I do the same thing when I'm in the broadcast booth. And so I think that's changed because I've become more confident. You know, if I look back, if I wrote when I did my ACL, I had to write down all the things that I've been able to accomplish in my career thus far to remember that I have a lot to stand on and that I'm going to get myself back to the ability to do those things. And that kind of slowed, that injury slowed absolutely everything down for me. It was the first long-term injury that I've ever had. And to be able to do that and see that I don't think I'm going to ever be able to really take in what I've done with my basketball career until it's over or until I'm telling my kids about it. And so I think that's something that's truly special, but I've grown more in my confidence and I've grown more to remember like, I am really good at this. I, I can do great things that it's okay to know and be proud of yourself for the things that you've done, but also still want to strive to be better and do it way better than you already did it. So that's what I'm learning. And to go off that and, and to conclude, touched on we've talked about today just how multifaceted you are in your career has been i'm wondering obviously you know years from now when your playing career is done when your broadcasting career wraps up how what do you want key nurse's legacy to be either as a player as a broadcaster maybe just as a person as a figure in canada as a woman with a a platform one that she's used to to speak to others yeah, it's hard. Legacy is a hard question. Um, you know, I feel like I've been doing this a long time because I really have, but I'm also only about to be 27 years old. And so, you know, I think there's a long way to go, but a, a big piece of it is I always want to be the player that worked their tail off. You know, I want to be remembered as a gym rat and somebody who was always striving to get better. I want to be remembered that way on the broad in the broadcast booth as well. Um, as somebody who, you know, I started in one place. I was really good at you know, driving to the rim when I was a player. And then all of a sudden I became a good threes. And then I put it all together. Like someone who kept getting better year after year and somebody who left the game better than I inherited it. Cause that's part of my job as a player. 
in terms of, you know, legacy in the broadcast booth and as a person, I want to make sure that, you know, for our young athletes that are coming up, the system is easier than I had it because that's what the people who came before me did. And trying to open up as many pathways as possible. If I'm remembered as a person who did it the hard way, didn't go to prep school, stayed in Hamilton, went to St. Thomas Moore, got to the best college that you could possibly get to for women's basketball at the time, and then drafted to the WNBA. I mean, I think that's a pathway that's more relatable to a lot of people than having to go and do all these different things and jump through all these hoops. And so the more pathways I can open, the better, because that means that's going to be a better pathway for all of our next generation, probably my grandkids at some point, if that gets to that. And being able to be a person who made the sporting industry in Canada a little bit better, made it a little bit more accessible, made it resonate with a couple more people. And if I find one kid that picked up a basketball and just fell in love with the sport and then achieved anything in life, you know, you could be a teacher, you could be a doctor, you could be a professional athlete, but learned something from the sport that I did my job. Hazard to say, mission accomplished. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode of Detours featuring Kia Nurse. Be sure to stay tuned for more insight from Canada's greatest sports figures. We have some really awesome episodes coming up, so we invite you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the interview. And in the meantime, we also invite you to take any nugget of knowledge that might help you find your own detour. Who knows? You might be our next guest. Detours.